0: Going to be seated. So, as we continue our worship, what I want to do is I want to uh, sing a song. Again, this song is actually outlined in the uh, Advent guide. Again, if you are unfamiliar how to access that, there should be QR codes. Hopefully, they're all around. Anywhere you look, you should be able to see an Advent Advent, uh, or a QR code. Go ahead and scan that. If you are on our online audience, in the description of the show, you can go ahead and click the little link right there that says Advent Guide, and we'll show you all the words of this particular song. Uh, what I want to do right now, this is, is just read the, the, the lyrics of it. It's a Christmas hymn. It's written by a guy named John uh, Charles Wesley. Here's what he said. Come thou long-expected Jesus, born to set thy people free, from our fears and sins release us, let us find our rest in thee. Israel's strength and consolation, hope of all the earth thou art, dear desire of every nation, joy of every longing heart. Born thy people to deliver, born a child and yet a king, born to reign in us forever, now thy gracious kingdom bring. By thine own eternal spirit, rule in all our hearts alone. By thine all sufficient merit, raise us to thy glorious throne. What I want to do right now is I want to take a moment to do a a practice that we have been doing on our midweek gathering, and uh, it's been awesome. Uh, It's just a practice of pausing and reflecting upon the goodness of God. And I think today is going to be a really unique moment to be able to do that for a couple reasons. Um, As I had mentioned, this is the first day of Advent, which is a four-Sunday stretch of time coming up into the actual day of uh, Christmas, whereby we remember Not only the fact that Jesus came into the world uh, for a purpose, which we will get into the teaching in just a moment to express that, but then ultimately that Jesus will one day come again. So uh, this season is a season that's intended to stir up hope in our hearts, uh, remembrance in our lives, um, and then ultimately repentance from things that are incongruent with the heart and the way of God. Um, As I mentioned earlier, one of the words that gets used in the Bible that also was a word that was used not only by early Christians, um, but also kind of got re-picked up again around the 70s, and Christians from what was known as the Jesus people era uh, would use this phrase, Maranatha, all the time. I think it's a word that we should actually reintroduce into our vocabulary that would become a word that we use all the time. And the word just simply means, come Lord Jesus, come Lord Jesus. And what I want to do in this moment is to utilize that word and what it signifies, come Lord Jesus, and to let that become interwoven into our time of praying together. And so the way that I want for us to just kind of pause to reflect upon God's goodness and pray is silence for us to consider that. Um, I think there's a tendency, especially within modern Western churches, to create an environment that is, quote unquote, exciting it's not uncommon to hear even pastors on their Instagram, social media pages saying, come on to church today because our church service is absolutely exciting. And there's nothing wrong with exciting. Don't get me wrong. We all love excitement. But I think what that does, that habitual action towards excitement, in some ways inhibits us, uh, removes the opportunity that we should be able to involve ourselves in just being silent before God. So what happens when the music fades? What happens when electricity goes out? What happens if, for example, a church community that lives in a part of the world that they're singing will put their entire community at risk? Say, for example, Iran or China. So what they do, they train themselves to pause, to reflect, to consider, to quiet themselves before God upon his greatness. And that's the practice that I want for us to consider doing today in this moment. And again, it's, it's a part of worship, but the way I want for us to do this is I'm just going to lead us through, first of all, just pausing and reflecting, but then praying specifically for Maranatha, come Lord Jesus, to come into a variety areas, a variety of the areas of our lives. So right now, how about we just, if whatever you feel comfortable doing, if you'd like to close your eyes, that's fine. If you'd like to keep them open and just look around, it's totally up to you. If you are with your kids or if you're at home, uh, get in a place that's comfortable. If it's sitting down on the couch, if it's standing up, if it's with a cup of coffee in your hand, it doesn't matter. None of this is magic. But the big idea is to get yourself in a posture whereby you can just concentrate, meditate, and consider uh, God's ways. So if you want to stand up, you're more than welcome to. But the big idea is get into a posture whereby you feel like you can just most concentrate and consider and think about and reflect upon God's goodness right now. So let's just go ahead and do that right now. Again, close your eyes, stand, keep them open, whatever. And just in this moment of reflection, the first thing I want you to just do in this moment right now is just, just take a breath, think about who God is. Think about him as being the one that has created the ability for you to breathe. Consider the fact that he has created oxygen that has allowed you to be able to inhale in order to breathe, in order to live. In other words, the sum total of your life right now is held by Yahweh God. You're in the grip of his hands. Right now, I want you to think about how do you feel? What's your thoughts that come to your mind as you begin to reflect upon the fact that God is here right in this moment? Do you feel nervous? Do you feel scared? Do you feel at home? Scripture teaches us that he is to those who have confessed him, he's their Abba Father. So if you've called upon God's name, you've trusted in his son Jesus, what I want you to think about right now in this moment is that your father loves you. Knowing that you're loved by God. Just in this moment, What is it that you would like to say to him? Speak to him. Confess maybe even your sins to him. Your unbelief. Your anxieties. Just bring those before him. And lay them at his feet. If you're here right now, maybe you're not a Christian. and just this very practice is making you really uncomfortable. Maybe this is a moment for you to just give Jesus your life. To confess that to God. Say, God, I feel very uncomfortable in your presence. But I want to be at home. I want to be forgiven. I want to be washed. That's you. Just call upon God's name. And in this moment, as we reflect upon that biblical word, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. Reflect upon what that means about Jesus coming into your life right now, into your circumstances. Where are those areas in your life, in your heart, in your emotions, in your thinking, That need the touch of God. Are there areas of pain. Worry. Fear. Physical malady. Where your heart's filled with unforgiveness. Or rage. Or anger. Right now. Just say Maranatha. Come Lord. Come to those areas of my life. It's between you and God in this community. Speak that to Him. Come, Lord Jesus. Speak that. Communicate that to Him. In this season, where during the Christmas season things can become full of chaos. Stress, worry, anxiety. Maybe it's over money. You don't have enough of it. And there's desires, things in your heart that you feel like if money was there, you'd be able to take care of it. But maybe it's a misplaced affection. Where are those areas in your heart right now in the season in general? That you need an assurance of God's presence. Where those places of hurt and brokenness and pain in your own life, in your circumstances, maybe in your family, that you need to right now, in the presence of God, just cry out, Maranatha. Just take a moment. And within those circumstances, cry out. Let it be the cry of your heart. And then lastly, not only do we need God's presence, Jesus, to come into our own life personally, but also into our circumstances, but also into our world. There's so much hurting, chaos, and pain. And as God's people, we're invited to pray for especially our neighbor, those that we know, even in some cases, all cases, really even our enemies. Jesus says, pray for those that despitefully use you. Have you been used? Have you been taken advantage of? Who are your enemies? Where do they reside? What are their names? What about in the broader circumstances of our world? The pain that we see on the news. We hear about in our streets. Maybe we are even intimate with and we knowledgeable of because we ourselves are the bearer of those pains are people that you know that are suffering hurting, dealing with maybe some sickness cancer, other forms of suffering and pain in which Jesus is inviting you right now to pray Maranatha come Lord Jesus name those people those enemies that have caused you hurt, name them if it's too painful to even name them, just just say, Jesus, you know their name. I'm asking you, Jesus, please bring some justice and peace and hope and wholeness into those areas where there's just nothing but deep brokenness. Those places of pain in our larger culture and community. Name them before God. Bring them to him. And just pray, Maranatha. So Jesus, in this moment, we both individually as well as collectively, we pray together. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Establish your kingdom. Create a way forward in the lives of those people where it just seems as if all roads are dead ends. Bring healing, God, to people that are just suffering and feeling physical pain. God, those are experiencing mental anguish anxiety, bring healing into those places. In our community here right now, as well as our virtual community online, Jesus, you know each and every soul and personality that's watching, that's present. God, would you make your presence known in their lives in this moment? We thank you, Jesus, for your love. And we welcome you to do what you alone can do here this morning. And we all agree together by saying, in Jesus' name, amen. So what I want to do right now is we're going to get into some teaching. So if you guys have a Bible, why don't you open up to the book of John chapter 3, verse 16. John three sixteen. Uh, we will be actually in this one verse for the next four weeks. Again, if you have not already accessed or downloaded our Advent guide, uh, you can do that if you're present by checking out the qr code if you haven't figured that out yet ask someone that's younger than the age of 30 and they would be glad to help you if you have this old flip phone called motorola written there on it do not use that it will not work if you're online just click the link and you have access to all that information um, this will be helpful because it will give you an outline for the next several weeks as to what we'll be engaging with so today john chapter 3 verse 16 is what i want to look at so each week we will take another phrase or a segment of this really important verse. Um, I would argue that this verse is probably the most well-known verses in the entire Bible, especially within culture at large, whether you are a Christian, whether you're not a Christian. At some point you can probably just walk up to random people on the street and say, do you know what John 3.16 is? If they don't know what the address to that particular verse is, if you begin to just by ask them, that passage goes like this, for God so loved, they will probably be able to finish it. They know, for the most part, our culture knows. Now, that being said, I think is dangerous for every one of us. Here's why. Because there's a tendency for us to become overly familiar with this passage. And therefore, with that overfamiliarity, we lose the sense of reality and power that's kind of packed into this really small, truncated passage. Over the next few weeks, we'll be kind of getting deeper into the bigger uh, element and passage itself uh the context of it what went before what goes into it a little bit afterwards but what i want to focus on today is really just the first two words in it i'll read the whole passage and then i'll circle back and then we'll uh, bring about some concluding thoughts and we'll be done so with that john three sixteen says this again most of you already know it but just listen to it carefully don't recite it just listen to it listen for god so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. What I want to look at today is just the first phrase for God. And I want to start with a question. So what do you think about when you think about the phrase or the word God? I think for most of us, that's kind of a loaded word. And for the most part, we live in the West, so that means that the West, as Americans, good Americans, we all have some concept of the word God. I mean, it's printed in our own uh, currency, for God we trust, in God we trust, right? In God we trust. But the fact of the matter is, I think for many of us, the reason why I say this is a loaded phrase, most of us, if we were to ask, give a definition as to what and how you would think about the word God or the phrase God. I think most of us, we would have differing definitions as to what the word God actually means. And it's not just simply different definitions amongst all of us. I wonder how many of those definitions of how we would define God would actually become really harmonious or sync well with the Bible itself. In other words, what I want to suggest to you is that many of us have a conception of what God is or who God is, but many of our understanding or conception of what God is is not necessarily consistent with the Bible. And that's a problem. It kind of plays into that bigger idea that we've been talking about a lot with regard to gospel fluency or Bible fluency, meaning that we have some elemental knowledge of the Bible or some elemental knowledge of this of the gospel, but it's not thorough. It's not fluent. We, can, we have enough just to get by to make ourselves dangerous, right? I've said this before. Uh, I can speak a little bit of Spanish, not really, really well. It's just enough to make me dangerous, meaning I could say some things that are probably offensive to someone else that, that that's their, you know, first language. The fact of the matter is many of us are kind of that way with regard to the Bible. We have certain ideas and concepts that are not totally steeped within the biblical narrative meaning they have might some element within the biblical narrative but also they pick up elements of mythology and ancient greek stories and concepts and americanism and patriotism and you know nationalism and however we want to describe it and that's the problem that i want to really try as best as i can in the very limited time that we have together to address today to think about so what i want to consider is that when jesus is having this dialogue with this guy by the name of nicodemus i'll get into some more background knowledge as to about what this is about next week because it plays into the bigger uh teaching next week but what i want to really suggest and talk about As Jesus is having this dialogue with this religious leader, his name's Nicodemus. And in this conversation, uh, he's beginning to talk to Jesus about what God is up to, who Jesus is. He's asking Jesus basically what his real identity is, meaning, Jesus, are you just a, uh, you know, another religious figure or is there something more that's at play? Are you, are you somebody that we should be like expecting and organizing our lives around? Again, we'll get more into that next week. But the point of the matter is that Jesus keeps bringing them back to God. And it comes to the climactic moment where in John chapter 3, verse 16, where Jesus says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. And so what I want for us to first of all consider is that when Jesus and the other character in this particular passage that we just read, so two of them, Jesus and the Nicodemus, when they're talking about God, they're talking about a definition that's deeply rooted in the historical biblical tradition. So when you and I talk about God, when we whip out a dollar bill, and right there it says, in God we trust, that is not the historical biblical God. That is another God. It's another entity. It's another being that's not rooted in historical biblical tradition. It might look like it. It might have the same name, but it's a different one. And here's why this matters. Because, again, I've said this before, that if you have this conception that God is this angry tyrant, right, or this angry landlord, and you happen to be living on his plot of land, as a squatter, meaning you don't pay rent, you don't really, you shouldn't be living there, you have no contract uh, that has been forged, and you're just a squatter living on his property, and he's really, really angry, then the way that you think about this God is going to determine how you actually uh, live for this God. You will either live in terror or fear. You will think of God as a terrorist, a divine terrorist. If you think of God as really nothing more than an interference in your life and you will think of God as being kind of like this divine voyeur as uh, an ancient sociologist and psychologist kind of described it as but the fact of the matter is if that 's how you think of God that will impact and affect the way that you live and even your 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 love and devotion to this God so what I want for us to think about is this word God and how this would have informed the Two characters in this story. Number one, Jesus and the Nicodemus, of course. So with that, I want to turn real back to the very first mention of the word God, which is in Genesis chapter one. So if you would like, you can go ahead and turn there. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna read it to you. If you would like, you can follow along as I read it. I just want you to listen to this because the very introduction of the Bible itself, page one, verse one of the entire Bible, gives us this little snapshot. Now, the image or the picture of God begins to get developed throughout the rest of the biblical storyline. And I would even argue that from the Old Testament becomes, comes in a full view when by the time you get to Jesus in the New Testament. In fact, the New Testament would actually describe that Jesus is the fullness of the invisible Godhead, that Jesus embodies exactly what Yahweh God is all, all about what he's like, what his intentions are. So I'll just give you a quick little trailer or a spoiler alert if you want to think of it this way. If you really truly want to understand who God is like, the best way that you can discover that is study the life of Jesus. Jesus. Jesus is the fullness of the image of the invisible God. Jesus embodies for us exactly what God is like. But up until this point, Genesis chapter one gives us the initial introduction to who God is like. So I just wanted to point out a handful of things. I'll read the passage, point out a couple of different elements to think about and we'll wrap it up. Number one is we see this in Genesis chapter one, verse one. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The word that's used there, God, is the Hebrew word Elohim. Um, it's a plural usage of that word. Um, in the, the word El, it's the plurality of it. And the big idea is that this God, first of all, is, is bigger than anyone could ever even imagine. Also, the word Elohim is uh, many translators or scholars and people that study the Scripture have identified that the word Elohim is actually also used to describe another classification of people or beings, I should say, in the Old Testament, not people. Um, we might be best to use the word divine beings. In the beginning was God, this divine being. And we know, according to the Old Testament, that there is no divine being like Yahweh God, he is the cheapest of every other divine being, divine beings being like angels or demons, how we would describe those. But that's getting ahead of ourselves. But the point that we see is that, first of all, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without that form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep. And then the spirit of God, uh, the word spirit is the word ruach, which literally can be translated wind or breath. Divine presence, the divine presence or wind or breath or spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So what I want to look at real briefly in that introduction, that this would have been the seminal passage that would have defined and described for people like Nicodemus, who Yahweh God is like. My invitation for you is to let this become the seminal image that defines for you what Yahweh God is like. Again, it's not the only definition. It's the beginning definition that finds its ultimate climax in Jesus. If you want to know the full story of it, like I already mentioned, you go to whom? Yes, speak up. Can't hear you. Who do you go to? Jesus. If you're at home and you said Jesus or your four-year-old said Jesus, good job. Point that I'd make is this is we see basically four things that we identify with regard to this God just in this passage. Number one, we see that this God is a spiritual being. He's divine, meaning he's intangible. He has no body at this particular point. No physicality, if you want to think of it this way. Metaphysical, non-material, that God himself is, as Jesus would put it, he's spirit. There's no body, no physicality to the very nature of who God is. So number one, he's spiritual. Number two, we see that this God is creative. Think about creative people that you know in your life. You know any of them? People that are artists. Maybe they make music. Maybe they're really, really, you know, good at making crafts. Maybe they are good at, you know, oil painting or crocheting or knitting or you know, maybe they're a surfer and they're just poetic and artistic in the way they carve lines in the wave. Whatever. Think of the idea. Somebody that is artistic. What type of people are they? Don't answer that. But you get the idea that God himself is creative. There's, so there's something about God that is utterly, incredibly creative. Because we're told, again, in this first initial introduction, that God himself He speaks and He creates. He created the heavens and the earth. So I want you right now, in this brief instant, just look around real briefly. Look at everything that you can just catch within a 360 view. You see trees. You see pine. You see bushes. You see stone. We see the sky. We see clouds. We hear birds. At your home, what do you see? Maybe you see your dog. Maybe you see a cup of coffee created, comes from a bean. Human beings have worked in collaboration with God the Creator to create this incredible drink called coffee. What we see all around us is creativity. This God created everything that we see that's both seen and unseen. Do you enjoy it? Is it good? It's totally good. It's beautiful. We don't worship creation. We worship the creator who made all creation. If you think of it this way, everything that we see, everything that's both seen and unseen, that's tangible, that's intangible, all of it bears the marks of the creator God. It, to, to worship it over the creator would be able to go up to you know, the Mona Lisa and worship the painting when the actual artist is right there. Rather than congratulating the artists and thanking them for creating this work of art, uh, we are misplacing our devotion into something. And this is what the New Testament describes for us. that This, this God is incredibly creative. Uh, thirdly, we see that this God is powerful. He's powerful. What we see with regard to the power, again, all you have to do is just look at creation itself and realize there is incredible power in creation. Now, all of creation bears God's name, and there's elements within it that are extremely powerful. That put in the wrong hands, put in the wrong conditions, could actually create devastation. We see that with water. As much as we love water, going down to the beach, whether you surf, you bodyboard, or you swim, or you scuba, or you spearfish, whatever that you do, you know there's something absolutely amazing and beautiful about the water itself. But water in the right circumstances, in the maybe unright circumstances, can create a tsunami with devastating power that can kill many, many people. It's devastating. Fire is good. We all know the benefits of fire. But at the same time, fire can be devastating, at least upon the state of California the way it has been in 2020. It's been devastating. Towns have been wiped away and destroyed off the map. We had a neighbor that lost A very, very old historic house in their family. And they're dealing with the consequences of that. So we know that there's something extremely powerful about nature itself. Well, where did that all come from? Well, it comes from God. We know that if it's powerful in nature, then that must mean that the very God that created it must have even greater power than that. So we see that God not only is spiritual and tangible, but he's also creative. He's also powerful. And then lastly, we see that this God is extremely, extraordinarily generous. How do we know this? Because we're told that the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the deep. And then the story that follows, we see that this God actually takes what's identified as just raw creation. And he creates a habitation. Why? For human beings to live upon. Um, if you or I were to uh, hop on one of Elon Musk's most recent like lunar or space voyaging type things that he creates, and you land on the planet Mars, no matter how great of your intentions are, you will die on planet Mars. That will become your grave. You were not made as a human being in the condition that you are without any form of artificial abilities to be generated and created. You will die on planet Mars. You will die on the moon. You will die on Jupiter. You will die in the sun. They are not habitable. For human beings. You will die if you go under the water for too long. It's not habitable. You can't live in a volcano. You get the idea. But the point of the matter is, God in his goodness created a habitation on planet Earth. Why? Because he's generous. So what I hope you begin to see is that this God is bigger than what you can ever even imagine. He's good, he's powerful. He's creative, he's spiritual, intangible. He's constantly at work. Why is this important? Why does this matter? It matters because the stories we live by shape the people that we become. If the myth or the story or the narrative that you live by is of a God, that's nothing more than that little slogan that's imprinted upon your dollar bill. You will live a life that will not be full and complete. That definition will not sustain you. It will not promote a generous God, a creative God, a powerful God, a God that is able to get your back. That is not the God that scripture introduces us to. But if the God that Jesus is talking to Nicodemus about that particular evening is the God that informs your understanding... It begins to show us the depth and the degree and the breadth of his generosity. Which next week we will begin to look at that. How far and how wide, how extensive is this God's generosity? Well, according to John chapter 3 verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave. He gave himself. Because your understanding of this God... That's anchored in the scriptural narrative will give you hope. If it's another entity or another deity that maybe bears name but not fulfilling the profile that we just saw right here, or even the profile of Jesus, that God will bring you to nothing but a point of despair and brokenness and pain and anxiety and lostness. But this God will bring you hope. So the first week of Advent is a moment for us just to be invited and to pause, to reflect upon this God that Scripture reveals to us from Genesis chapter 1 all the way through to the storyline of Jesus himself, the one who came into this world, the one who is coming again, the one who continues to come through our lives, that this God gives us hope. So my desire for you today, as you receive Scripture, that you would let Scripture itself inform and maybe correct And change, and in some cases, maybe even rebuke and destroy and dismantle and break down false edifices, false notions, false definitions that you have held to or clung to so that you could be entered into this new relationship with God and discover the hope. So, what I want to do right now as we close is I want for us to come together to remember that this Jesus that came came for a purpose to give his life as a ransom. Again, we're talking about this radical generosity of God to give himself for you so that from giving himself for you, we can live again. So as we close, how about I'm going to invite you all to stand and we will partake of communion together. If uh, you are uncomfortable, uncomfortable, maybe partaking communion, you're more than welcome to just pass. We will have some leaders that will go around, ushers that will pass you out the little cup. And the little communion wafer. So go ahead and hold that in your hand uh, and, uh, until I'm done praying and then we will all partake together. But a couple things to just consider as we partake of communion. Number one, Paul the Apostle says that when you guys come together and you partake of the communion, as you remember what Jesus has done for you, do this in a, in a manner that is, is worthy. In other words, I think what he's describing is, is consider what you're about to embark upon. It's, it's sort of a vow renewal of saying, Jesus, I belong to you. And you've given yourself to me. It's an opportunity for you to maybe reflect upon those areas of your life. That even right now are not in congruency with his. They might look different than who God is and what God is like. And if you're at home and you're watching. You would like to partake of communion as well. uh, You can go ahead and grab some juice or cracker or something like that. And just join together with us. But as we do that. Think about what are those areas in your life right now that maybe need to be washed and cleansed and made new by the power of Jesus? Confess those things to him. So how about this moment right now? You can go ahead and bow your heads, close your eyes if you'd like, uh, keep them open, whatever's comfortable to you. And I'm just going to pray. And in this moment, I want to invite you to maybe confess before God, what are those areas in your life that you just need a renewal of his power in your life? You confess your sin to him. Confess your ways. Confess the things that you have not done rightly or things that you should have done but hadn't done. Just speak that to him right now. In the New Testament writing, uh, John the apostle tells us that if we confess our sins to him, God is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all of our unrighteousness. So as you confess your sin to God, what I want you to know is on behalf of God's power, you have been washed and cleansed right now. What an amazing gift that's been given to you by Jesus. Washed and cleansed. Receive from him the grace. So Jesus, right now, as we come to you, we thank you for your love. Take a moment and just say thank you in your heart to God. Thank him for whatever it is that's been happening in your life that you just need to right now in this moment access this time to just thank him, to demonstrate your appreciation to him. Speak it to him. If you're at home with your family, you can pray together Kids, if you're watching, you can go ahead and speak out. What are you thankful for? What are the good things that have happened in your life that you can thank God for giving you those things? God, we confess your goodness. Every good and perfect gift comes down from you because you are our true good and perfect gift. You're generous. You're powerful. You're good. So, Father, even right now as we Come together around the bread and the cup. We thank you that our lives have been brought into your family, into your life, that we don't have to sit around and create our own narrative to live by. We are not our own. We belong to you. We are bought with a price. We don't have to be slaves to sin or slaves to a narrative or slaves to another narrative. Uh, Ideology that does not line up with your scripture. We're slaves to the one who loves us and he gave himself for us. We thank you for your great love. So God, now, together as a community, we partake together, remembering your great love. And let's go ahead and participate together. Let me uh, close this in prayer. Jesus, again, thank you for your love. And as we scatter now, as we leave, God, empower us to be those type of people that show forth your love in everything that we do. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. May the grace, mercy, and peace from the triune God be yours. Enter into this week. Knowing you are loved by this God who gave himself for you. God bless you guys. Goodbye to our online audience.